are there any are there any theistic flaws? Uh, this doesn't matter as much now that we talked about peers and, and how they're not as important. But I wanted to ask before that: Are there any theistic philosophers that you take to be um, like your your peers that, that give you pause that their their religious belief counts as evidence against your atheism? Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I really love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. On this episode, I have with me another special guest. I have with me Dr. Richard Feldman. He is a university professor of philosophy at Rochester University, and um, or University of Rochester. He's awesome. He's a legend. If you know anything about epistemology, then you know this guy. I'm really excited to to get into uh, religious disagreement with him and whether or not it's a special case. I was introduced to uh, disagreement literature in epistemology through his work, and uh, it's it's just really, really fascinating, and I'm excited to get into it. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, his new paper, our new chapter in a book, Religious Disagreement and Pluralism by uh, Matthew Benton, edited by Matthew Benton and Jonathan Kavanvig. Sorry if I butchered that one. But uh, we're going to be talking about his specific chapter, which is, is there something special about religious disagreement? So I'm really excited to jump in. Before we do, I want to thank everyone over on Patreon for making this podcast happen. If this is your favorite podcast, if it's top five, even top 10, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. You can uh, support this podcast monthly for uh, anything as low as $3 a month, all the way up to like $45 a month. Um, if you if you find value from this, please consider doing that, and you get a lot of different uh, prizes at different levels of support. So go check that out. You can find the link in the description wherever you're getting this podcast at. All right. So without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Feldman and let's get going on religious disagreement, disagreement literature in general, and whether or not religious disagreement is a special case. <clears throat> Rich, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is um, when I started the podcast. I thought it would be amazing to get Richard Feldman on. And it was kind of like a pipe dream, but but here you are. This is this is awesome. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate your kind introduction. Yeah, well, so before we we talk about disagreement, um I, I'm interested in finding out what what made you interested in philosophy? Why why do you want to become a philosopher? So, uh, here's the story. I I started college uh, as an engineer. Um hmm. I did well in the sciences and math in high school, and people told me I should be an engineer. And I really had no idea what engineers did, but I applied to engineering schools and I got in. And, and uh, I realized pretty early on that although I was doing okay, it just wasn't what I was most interested in. So uh, after I had to stay in engineering for the first year, but then after that, I transferred, I became a physics major and did that for a while and then decided that really wasn't where my my heart was and i switched to political science hmm. did that for a little while they called it government and and then uh in my junior year i took a philosophy course and i did that because at that time my older brother fred was finishing his phd in philosophy and i hmm. was curious what it what it was that he was doing and i took a course and I thought it was the hardest and most interesting thing I'd ever encountered. I, I just loved it. Uh, and I went through a kind of a sort of, I don't know, some sort of turmoil. Is it okay to do what my big brother does? There's uh, something not cool about doing the same thing. Yep. 
but then I decided not doing it because he was doing it. Sort of was letting my life be determined by what he did too. <laughs> so I should just ignore that fact and do what I wanted. And so uh, I became a philosophy major, did, did almost exclusively philosophy courses for the remainder of my junior and, and my senior year and, and went on from there. That's awesome. Well, I have a, a brother who's eight years older than me and our interests uh, line up a lot. And I'm always wrestling with that. Am I just doing this because of him or am I not? And, and I just try to ignore it. Like you're yeah, saying, just, just do what you want. I think that's right. Just do what yeah. you want. Yeah. That's awesome. He's yeah. going to be, he's going to be teasing me for that when he hears this. Uh, <laughs> okay. He's got a podcast as well. Um, well, okay. So that's, that's how you got into philosophy, but, but then you're, you're an epistemologist. And if you're in epistemology, like people, People know your work. Um, they they ought to if they're in epistemology. When when people ask me for intro books, I always point to yours, um, uh, epistemology. It's it's a great book. Um, it's deep enough to get a, a good feel for the literature, um, but it's not so deep that it's like you're trudging through it. So I, I I definitely commend this book to all the listeners. But but how'd you become an epistemologist then? In in graduate school, I didn't know what area of philosophy I was most interested in and just took a variety of courses and epistemology just uh, sort of stood out for me. Um, I was at the University of Massachusetts and uh, Roderick Chisholm was an eminent philosopher at the time. He, he's since passed away, but he was really an eminent philosopher and epistemology was one of the many areas he worked in. He was at Brown, but he came up to UMass every year to teach mm. a seminar. And I always took that seminar each year. I took it and I actually had the opportunity for at least a couple of years uh, to um, drive to the bus where he, he took a bus from Providence up toward Amherst. And then uh, he got off the bus. It was a town a, a little bit away and I, I picked him up. We had lunch together and then I drove him back to campus for his course. And I think it was through that connection with him that really influenced me. Wow. Um, another person that was very influential uh, who was in on the faculty at UMass was Ed Gettier, who is well known in epistemology too, <laughs> sure. his paper. Uh, so I think I think the two of them uh, oh. probably had the greatest influence. Wow, that's so cool. I, I recently had Charles uh, Tolliver on, and uh, he he mentioned uh, Chisholm as well, and and Dean Zimmerman's coming on tomorrow, and he was another influence. It's so cool yeah. to see all the influence that that uh, one person like that can make, and. And obviously Gettier as, as well. It's so yeah, cool. Yeah, Chisholm really did influence a lot of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I've, I've had some of your students on as well, which is really, really cool yeah. to see the generations there. Yeah. Um, well, so um, you're, you've, you're known um, widely for uh, your work in the disagreement uh, phenomena in, in uh, epistemology. And to my, like the best of my limited knowledge, uh, I, epistemology is super hard for me. It's It's really, really, really difficult. So I'm, I'm trying to get into it more. But to the best of my limited knowledge, you were kind of responsible for kicking off the uh, disagreement literature with with this paper on um, on religious disagreement. Some of your students were, were disagreeing about whether you could be rational in disagreeing with each other uh, and be peers. Is that is that right? Or was this already kind of like burgeoning uh, b before you got I into think, it? I think um, the issue was... was was there. I mean, I think to be fair that there were much earlier in the literature, there are people who are making mention of this kind of topic. Okay. And then around the time I wrote a couple of papers, uh, some other people uh, 
David Christensen, perhaps Tom Kelly, if a couple other people were thinking about some similar sorts of things. Um, so I think my paper was one of a few that that uh, were early on in the current, I mean, for the last, I don't know, maybe it's 15 years or so, there's really been a, a huge number of uh, papers in the topic. And, and I think my paper was one of a few that were early on in that. I had another one that wasn't about uh, religious disagreement. It was just a more general paper about, about disagreement that was published maybe a little earlier than that. I, I, okay. I'm not certain right now, but early on. Okay. And the, the paper that I'm referencing, I believe the title is uh, Reasonable Religious Disagreements. Yes. Yes. Okay. So for the folks at home, um, it's a great paper. I, I recommend that, uh, especially if you're interested in, in jumping in. And and as you mentioned, Tom Kelly is another big name um, that, that people can look to to get saturated in the disagreement yes. literature. Yes. Um, can you can you recount the, uh, the story of your students agreeing to disagree? Sure. So I was teaching a, a course, I was co-teaching a course with a colleague in the, in the religion department um, and it was it was sort of directed to juniors and seniors who were either majoring in philosophy or religion, and it's kind of an odd thing because they have very different backgrounds, and mm -hmm. it was a little difficult to, you know, any anything we wanted to assign for students to read would either work for some of the students but not the others it, yeah. so well because their backgrounds differed. But nevertheless, it was a it was an interesting course, and it was um, the title was something like rationality, relativism, and religion, or hmm. some 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 such thing. And one of the things that was really striking to me in that course was a difference. Um, I don't want to overstate how pronounced it was, but a tendency, at least, among the religion students, we sometimes talk about disagreement and how people had such radically different views about religious matters. And their attitude was often, well, what do we do to get people to get along? And how do, how do we sort of make sure that they're respectful to one another and, and mm -hmm. treat each other right, as opposed to, you know, wars over, over religious difference? And, and the philosophy students, and me were more interested in well how how to make sense of this like what should you think when you find out that people who are as intelligent as you and and, and you know thoughtful and have such radically different views from you and and what what to make of that and can you reasonably maintain your your own beliefs in light of that disagreement so it, it was that, and, and for a lot of the students, it, it, there really were these different attitudes, and, and some of them, the more prominently among the religious students, the, the, the religion majors, the attitude was, of course, everybody can be reasonable, and we should be respectful of their opinions and, and get along with them. And to a certain extent, the philosophy students would say, hey, well, wait a second. <laughs> How does this work? So I, I was very much intrigued by that. And mm. that was a thing that, that got me very much interested in this topic. Well, that's awesome. I, I, um, I studied, uh, I have a couple of degrees in, in theology and I'm working on one in philosophy. So that phenomena happens in my head all the time. So I have two Parkers uh, cool. disagreeing with each other <laughs> on what to believe. Oh, right inside your own head. That's right. That's right. Yes. So that's, that's yeah. always fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's a couple key concepts that are doing that uh, do some work for us here, uh, including epistemic peers and then higher order evidence. Um, can you help yeah. us think through these two? 
Sure. So, so um, epistemic peer is a term that got introduced into the literature early on in, in these this collection of papers. Um, I know I used it. I'm not. I don't know whether somebody else might have used it first. But the idea was that uh, there's a person who's your who's comparable to you and has very different beliefs. And and the question was how to how to what impact that should have on, on your own beliefs, how to adjust your beliefs in light of the disagreement with a peer. The idea was that, um, you know, if you're much more well-informed on a topic than somebody else is and they disagree, that's a less challenging uh, issue. Yeah. Or if, if you have a belief about something and you, you encounter somebody who knows a whole lot more about you than the topic, well, then it's, pretty clear that you should defer to them right but where it's where it's peers uh it's a more complicated uh issue harder a little harder to think through just what you ought to do so that was the that's where the idea of a peer came i i think um in 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 thinking about the topic more recently my interest in the concept of an epistemic peer has declined in a certain mm. way um there are papers where where people try to come up with the right definition of what an epistemic peer is. And right. Does it mean somebody who's got exactly the same evidence as you or exactly the same ability to assess it or to think about things as if um, once we got that clear, that would somehow help us think through the topic. And to my mind, it really didn't make a lot of difference. That is, there could be somebody who knows a little more or a little less, but if they differ from you, that seems like an important fact. And right. it, it doesn't really matter whether they're perfect peers or, or not. Uh, so that whole emphasis on that specific uh, thing seemed a, a bit misguided. It, it might have been an idealization that helped think about certain kinds of principles, mm -hmm. but it it wasn't really crucial for actually thinking about how to deal with disagreement, at least uh, as I saw it. So that's one concept. Yeah, well, sticking on that, that's that's really helpful that, that you laid that out because I think that's something that I wanted to target too and just say like, well, then fine, you know, maybe maybe there is no such thing as an epistemic peer. And, and I recently was thinking about like Lewis's counterparts. I, I, I don't go in for his motor realism, but if, if yeah. it were true, yeah. I would think my, my, uh, my counterparts are probably my, epistemic peers but, yeah. but but then they would probably agree with me and then i would yeah. have like an yeah. infinite number of peers but but it's it's just nice that you're saying look it's well i guess if if it if we don't need to get uh, like razor sharp clear on it um does it does it do any work for us still so it only in my own mind only in a in a um fairly um indirect way so I mean, my, my general attitude is in, if you encounter somebody who disagrees with you, well, that's information. This yeah. person thinks that mm -hmm. um, and, and something different from me. And that, to my mind, that, that's a pertinent fact that that needs to be taken into account. And if the person it is a peer, not in any rigidly defined precise sense, but just sort of somebody who um you know who, who 
seem who on otherwise you would take seriously whose yeah. views would matter to you say if you didn't already have a position on the topic well what does this person think what might be something you'd care about um so so if they're like that then 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 it it uh it's useful but so, so as i see it no precise account of peer matters but the idea of somebody whose views are of interest and, and whose views matter. That, that's that's the key concept. Okay, so then to deny that, um, you'd be kind of a jerk. You'd be like, no, <laughs> no, no one else's <laughs> opinions matter <laughs> to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, so um, so then we got we got higher order evidence. So this is another one that that's um, in literature and and uh, I think I think matters uh, and it is worth thinking about. Um, there's evidence that in some sense directly bears on the truth of a proposition. Mm -hmm. And then there's evidence about the evidence or a, a, about um, about people who believe the, uh, who believe the proposition or, or other factors that are not in some sense directly information that bears on whether the proposition is true. Um, and it's, I think in the end, it's a distinction that gets fuzzy, but, uh, it's this, it's this sort of thing. Um, suppose somebody tells you something and then, uh, you know, tells you some proposition is true. And then you find out about that person. Well, that person isn't reliable, isn't honest, or you know, isn't trustworthy. Well, that's not directly evidence about whether what the person said is true, but it's evidence about whether their word is something you ought to take seriously, whether you ought, whether that ought to influence you very much. So that's that's a kind of thing that seems like higher order evidence. And, and then there's very puzzling kinds of cases where that comes in, where you, know, you think about something and you become convinced that it's true and then you're told some story about, you know, you've been given a drug or exposed to something and you're not capable of thinking well about it, right. uh, thinking effectively about it or accurately. And, and that's evidence not directly about the truth of the proposition, but about your ability to figure it out. Yeah. So that sort of thing uh, might get put in the category of higher order evidence. Okay. And, and it's uh, a complicated matter to think about how higher order evidence interacts with with uh, what we might call ordinary evidence. Um, and uh, so, so that's why that's become a concept that matters in this literature. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, you you'd mentioned the, uh, the the pill case where you, you you take you find out or you come to believe that you uh, you took a pill. And it's—I don't know if you'd like to use the, the language of defeaters or not, but it's, it sure. seems like it gives you a defeater for for your faculties or the, the beliefs produced by the faculty. Just this is like totally rabbit trail, and if you don't want to go there, we can totally uh, uh, not go there. But there's—it's become really popular in in popular philosophy today to talk about the simulation hypothesis. Yeah, and I, I had this idea that if you came to find out that you live in a computer simulated world and not base reality, but you took all your surroundings to be base reality it seems like that might be the, uh, an analogous case to the pill that you you come to believe that none of your beliefs were vertical 
Yeah. And then it seems like you might have a defeater. It might be self-defeating, not self-refuting, but that now you come to believe, hey, look, my cognitive faculties don't produce truth, but fake beliefs about this world. Is, is that the same thing? or, or? Well, it, there's certainly some similarity. Um, a difference is mm-hmm. is this. In, in the case of uh, if somehow you learned you were in a simulation, I think, now not everybody will agree, but I think what you might discover is that you were forming perfectly reasonable beliefs about mm-hmm. the world around you, but um, they turned out to be mistaken because of this deception or the, the circumstances you were in. It, it wasn't that you were reasoning badly. Okay. Um, whereas the pill case is, is uh, at least some versions of that, are, it's supposed to be a case in which you're led to think that you're not good at reasoning about things. Okay. Um, so they differ. It's still alike. It, 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 it's true that in, in the simulation case, you learn that you were wrong about, yeah. uh, apparently wrong about lots of things, but it doesn't, it doesn't undermine your competence in quite the same way. Okay. Okay. Can I throw one, just one wrinkle in? So let's say, so in the the movie, the matrix, uh, the main character, Neo is brought out of the matrix and, you know, he wakes up to the real world and the the sky is all dark and and everything looks like a post-apocalyptic world. Um, in, in that case, he he now has evidence that he's been systematically deceived about his world before. Um, and it, to me, it seems like, you know, he, he's going to have a really hard time being justified in any of his beliefs now because, he has this belief that he's been systematically deceived before and it looks yeah. just like the real world. I think my externalist friends want to say, well, it, it just depends on the matter of fact. Yeah. Is he in base reality or not? Um, what, yeah. what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think what matters is his evidence. And, okay. and depending on details of the example, he, he might be in a situation where he's got good reason to doubt. I mean, very hard to tell now. So sure. what situation am I in now might, right. might be uh, is, is um, the, the reasonable thing for him to think. So I would, uh, I would think uh, that could cause, make him make it much harder for him to be justifiably believe things about the world, even if, in fact say is in what we what people often call the good case he is now actually seeing the real world i think he might not have any good reason to think that that's what's happened nice okay you heard it here from richard feldman (laughs) folks (laughs) right that's fantastic well okay so we we got we got epistemic peers under our belt we got high order evidence um how about the conciliatory approach Uh, i i think you still go in for that that approach right is that yours okay yeah can you help us with that Sure. So I think you can think of attitudes toward uh, rational reaction to disagreement along a, a continuum from one extreme where you might think, well, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Go with your own, your own views. Stick to your guns no yeah. matter what. And I don't know if anybody really thinks that. Uh, completely down the line. Um, 
maybe there are certain cases that are are like that that if you encounter certain disagreement and you think I, well i don't care that doesn't matter to me I, you know a flat earther or something i mm -hmm. it's not going to make me worry um uh and then at the other end are conciliatory views and at the most extreme is a view that says um you know, always conciliate, or that is always sort of adjust your beliefs in the direction of the, the person who disagrees. And in the extreme, if you believe something and they deny it, then you should both meet in the middle and suspend judgment. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that's sometimes called the equal weight view or something, you know, a version of that, where, where your view and the other person's view are given equal equal standing and, and you uh, split the difference between them. Um, and so that's a kind of conciliationism, but, but conciliationism is really just the idea, at least as I understand it, it's just the idea that um, you should in general give some weight, some that the fact of disagreement with somebody else is some evidence against your view and that could have an impact on on whether you should maintain your belief or your strength of belief or your degree of justification. Yeah. Um, it's worth it's worth saying something to uh, about um, sort of realistic cases and real world cases and 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 to help think about that. So, and the thing I am interested in is is and so that thing that got me interested in thinking about these topics very early on was real world disagreement. Like right. I have my political beliefs and I feel pretty convinced of, of a number of things, but then really smart, well-intentioned people informed on the topic differ. And it seemed like it was just another example of the same kind of uh, question. Um, and the, the, the point here is on, on an awful lot of topics, you know, say if you and I start talking about something and I discover you differ with me about that, it, it might be another case of disagreement. But on all sorts of real world cases, I already know that lots of people differ. Uh, so, you know, here's just one more. And, and yeah. that's a less significant fact than in sort of count, encountering a new disagreement or being in a novel situation and and where you don't have prior beliefs and you discover somebody somebody uh, differ disagrees with you. So um, uh, conciliate. We have to be very careful. I mean, the conciliation principle that says every time you encounter somebody who disagrees, you have to change your belief in the direction of what that person thinks. Well, that's maybe you've already taken into account the fact that uh, yeah. people think that, and so. Uh, um, that's a different, uh, you know, so there can be versions of conciliationism that seem to me are, are far too uh, strong to expect too much conciliation. But, yeah. but the idea that you should, that the fact that somebody differs with you is some kind of evidence relevant yeah. to your belief, that, that seems the core insight. In, yeah, that, that's cool to 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 know that there are, there are different degrees and different ways to be uh, uh, to hold to a conciliatory view. That there you don't have to have this overly strong 
principle where where all of your beliefs are just so tentative and you're running around with your fingers in your ears lest right. someone else disagree and switch right. your your beliefs again right yeah right. okay so, but there's the the hardcore of just evidence of evidence is evidence and that should uh, move you and if it doesn't then you should probably have a principled reason why yes uh, or an error right. theory or something right and 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 you might have a have a good reason why you might have some reason to think this person on this topic is just not worthy of um, right. um deference yeah okay well so we're gonna um get into um, religious disagreement and whether or not it's a special case uh, but i thought uh, since you touched on this in the paper i thought it was a good point to, to bring up here on the, the podcast as well that uh this is a different question than the rationality of religious belief yes. um can you can you distinguish those two for us um so i guess what what struck me, you know, I was asked to contribute a paper to this to this uh, collection of papers on religious disagreement, and uh, as I was thinking about it, thinking about what I might say, I, I asked myself the question: Well, why is there a collection of papers about religious disagreement? You, hmm. you, you wouldn't likely have a collection of papers about I don't know disagreements regarding electricity or, or <laughs> uh, you know, lots of other topics, you, you wouldn't think there's some or disagreements about baseball. I, I don't know. I, yeah. there, you wouldn't think there's something special about the topic. I mean, you might think, sure, you can think about how to, you know, rationality and disagreement. And it's kind of, it seemed like it would be sort of subject matter neutral. Yeah. Um, but then the idea that you'd have a book about religious disagreement sort of seemed appropriate. I mean, there wasn't nothing surprising about that. I, I mean, right. I didn't react. Well, why? Why is there this? You know, <laughs> yeah. is the is the next request going to be about one of these other sort of topics where there, there's no no way people would be thinking about that? And so I asked myself the question: Is there something special about religious disagreement? Um, so that's how I came to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. I've forgotten yeah. what your question was, but well, um, so it's just it's that's a different question than um, can can religious belief be rational? Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's just thinking. It, it, right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like that. And I think that's important for the listeners too, because this isn't a question of. You know, it's not being mean to religious believers saying you guys aren't rational. It's just no, get, no. In, in light of other religious believers who disagree with you, that's that's religious disagreement. And then yes. what we're asking here is, is that a unique case different than politics, different than yes. flat earth debates, different than what exactly. day of the week garbage yeah. comes or something? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Well, awesome. Um, so let's let's jump in on that then. Um, is there something distinctive about religious disagreement or is it like disagreement in in every other domain? So my my first my initial thought and is that there's nothing special. Yeah. That it's another topic, perhaps one that's of particular importance, uh, significance to 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 many people. It's one that um, it's a topic, obviously, that addresses something that uh, many people care very deeply about. Um, mm -hmm plays a significant role in their lives. Um, but from a certain abstract perspective, it, it is just another topic. And, yeah. and um, 
if you encounter people who differ with you about it, that's like encountering somebody who differs with you about some other topic. Um, it's worth, I think, separating out uh, religious question, questions in the general domain of, of religion that uh, um, where things get a little bit more complicated, maybe a little bit more interesting. Yeah. So, so there are questions in the that are broadly religious that are really historical questions about mm. about you know what happened when and you know facts about the development of some religion and and who was influential and how how that happened. Yeah. And that's a those are questions in history and historians can can address them in it, as they would any other question and and whatever the historical record indicates and yeah it, you know and and i think they're perfectly analogous to to historical um debates and in, in other topics and nothing special because it has to do with religion yeah there's other religious questions um like um, is religion, is participation in, in, in the various religions growing or declining in this country or, or around the world? And, yeah. and that's a kind of uh, sociological question uh, that's comparable to questions about whether, you know, membership in other kinds of organizations is increasing or, or declining. And so, uh, those questions, I think, are quite clearly not not um, distinct. There's nothing distinctive about religious disagreement uh, yeah. with uh, with respect to them. Yeah. Um, maybe it's important to say uh, one other thing to to sort of be clear about the the another aspect of this. There's what I think in the paper I might have called core religious disagreement. Yeah. And, and that's you know, does God exist, and, and or something, something like that, something really fundamental, and and there, I want to, I think it's very important to make a distinction between what we might call difference and disagreement. Okay. So you might be committed to living your life in a certain way, and perhaps following the the practices and and. Uh, uh, of a particular religion, and, and that's how you choose to live your life, and mm -hmm. I don't. So we differ. Um, but that's not a disagreement about some truth in the world. It, it's a difference about how we want to live our lives. It, it's. It's. Uh, I don't mean to to um, demean diminish its its significance but it's a little bit like whether you're interested in football or baseball and right. not interested in you know something else and there's just differences but there's not a disagreement it might come out as a disagreement or seeming like a disagreement uh, st sticking with the sports example if you say well i like basketball and i say well i don't i like baseball yeah so we we might say we disagree but it's really we just like different things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's not there's nothing like you're right and I'm wrong about. There, there's nothing like that. Because there's no proposition that's being de yeah. debated. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
Right. And, and it would sort of be odd, but you can imagine cases where I say, I like baseball. And you say, well, actually, you don't. And, <laughs> yeah, right. and right. you show me that, well, I don't watch it. I don't pay attention. Yeah, you don't spend I, any money on it. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, so you might question whether that's so we could differ about that. But that's a fact about me that a real fact about me that we're just differing about. Right. That we're just agreeing about. Um, I think that's relevant because an aspect of religion is a kind of commitment mm -hmm. that many, many people uh, take on. And because we differ in that, that doesn't mean we're disagreeing in the, in the sense relevant to the disagreement literature. Yeah. What matters is if there's some purported fact about the world, the universe, causes yeah. the universe and the like that we're actually disagreeing about. So some truth, some proposition. Yeah, the existence of God between atheists and, and theists, yeah. the, the yeah. nature of God between theists and other exactly. theists. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, great. Um, so this is, uh, I wonder, so I'm a, I'm a religious theist myself, and I thought, should I want, should I want a religious disagreement to be a special case? And at first I thought, yeah, maybe, you know, but, but I thought about your students and how it seems like some of the religion students were trying to hedge against um you know hey you you get yours and i get mine and let's not disagree we can agree to disagree we can both be rational and kind of hedging and, and when i think about that more i think a religious believer probably shouldn't want it to be unique um because then it seems like not that it's a special higher case or something but actually it's a lower case it's not up to snuff it's yeah. not something that can be debated like politics if you can disagree on politics you ought to be able to it should be the same kind of thing um, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Whether the, yeah, I, I do. And I, I very much appreciate your, your thinking there, your, your point. And I think that applies very generally. There's some other stuff I've been working on lately and, and it, it picks up just that kind of theme. Um, and the, the, as you put it, you know, you have yours and I'll, I'll have mine and let's just respect each other or let's just let each other go is a kind of refusal to take the other person seriously. Right. Um, and, and I, I think it's kind of disrespectful. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it, and if, I mean, if you, if you turn what seems like a genuine different difference and disagreement into, well, it's just how we feel about it. Then, then you, you reduce what seems like an important question mm -hmm. um, into into uh, one that's you know like you like vanilla and I like chocolate and, right. and, and leave it at that. Um, further, a, a further point along those lines. There's there's an interpersonal part of of this kind of issue, and there's a more individual, personal part of it. So. You might think on any topic that's important to you, but religion being one, you might think, you know, this is really matters to people. I don't want to get into some, some kind of game of, of trying to persuade them, talk. I don't want to talk them out of their beliefs. <laughs> I, sure. I want to leave them alone. And that, that might be fun. I, I, that, that might be a wise uh, position to take. Yeah. But if you're serious about what you believe, 
then you still might want to think about what they believe and why they believe it and whether that ought to influence you. Right. So so just from a purely self-interested perspective of, of your own interest in trying to get things right, it seems to me you should take other people seriously and not just let it be, well, they've got theirs and I've got mine and, and they're, we're done. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right there. And, and I think with that comes a little bit of... Um uncomfortableness uh because yes you have to disagree you have to say hey look i think i believe this and you believe that it doesn't mean we um doesn't mean we can't coexist right um but it, it means hey look i i take you seriously enough to take you what you what, what your uh, beliefs are seriously and unless i have a principled reason for denying those beliefs i are just out of hand then i should consider them you know i think that's right and to use a, a um i think meaningful but not religious uh kind of example I, I i got interested in thinking about some of these kinds of issues and there were real real world political uh issues it was i think early probably was the iraq war or okay. something like that and you know i had my views about the case and i remember sitting at dinner talking with my wife about it and and with this you know my philosophical perspective uh mm-hmm because it's pretty much ever present um, uh, and thinking, but, you know, we feel very strongly about this, but look, here's other people who, who actually know more about this topic than, than we do. And, and they, they differ. And, and so how, how do we come off right. feeling so confident of, right. about this? And, and uh, that's another kind of discomfort. I mean, not only do you need to disagree because you can't just say, you know, we're both right or something, Yeah. but you have to, it can lead to a certain kind of self-doubt or at least questioning uh, yeah. of your own, own views and, and some that are, are uh, important to you. And so that, that can be pretty challenging. Yeah, it, it really can. And I think that um, it can be an, it can be a, a challenging and, and hard thing, but it, it also can breed a lot of humility saying yeah. exactly what you just said. I have that in, so I, I, I studied uh, at a seminary and I had professors from every different denomination and, you know, going in, I was pretty arrogant and I thought, you know, I'm right. My position. And now having all these guys uh, and, and, and women, men and women who differ from me and they're way wiser than me. They know more information than me. They know the religious text. They know the Bible better than me and memorize more. And they, they disagree with each other. It forced me into the, this position of saying, "Look, I do need to study more, but also maybe I'm not as confident yeah. in my position as uh, as I was before, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I shouldn't be such a jerk about <laughs> my beliefs." Yeah, I don't know whether you were a jerk, but but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a kind of maybe there's a kind of humility, but there's a certain it, it, I find it in a certain way exhilarating. I mean, it yeah. sort of opens up the world in, in a way. Yeah. Um, it it's also it's so it it does I, I totally agree with you. There's also this like there's like a how possible question in like the Kasim Kasam uh, uh, type type manner where like it's if you reflect on the fact that experts can spend their whole life studying stuff and then disagree with another one of their peers, it's kind of a baffling thing. Yeah. Like how how can we disagree? What do you like a historian? Two historians disagreeing over an aspect. Of, of some event they both have the same information it's really really interesting and crazy to think that people can and do disagree it, it is i think i think an aspect of that that's that's uh really 
important to keep uh, keep your uh, eyes on mm -hmm. is um, in, in every case uh, asking yourself what's the question um, hmm. um, so so um, I mean it it might it might be that um, where you're where you're disagreeing um, is is uh, there's different points there's different propositions that you're thinking about yeah and and so you're not really disagreeing in quite the way uh, you thought you were oh yeah there's equivocation maybe going on or something yeah hmm. yeah okay yeah yeah that's that it's so it's so important yeah it's so important well, what exactly are, are they disagreeing about i mean it, it might be say in the historical case you mentioned that there's an awful lot that they do agree about right right yeah that's another good point yeah um well so so continuing on here so you you um and i'm glad that you do this as well i, th I think you're right that you deny the uniqueness of religious uh disagreement but you give two reasons for it and i i think i took your reasons to be that uh, you don't see a reason for thinking it warrants special treatment. And then um, the second one's kind of, you just, this is like the, the nuclear option. You, you doubt that there are in fact general principles um, specifically about disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Parker, could we pause for a second? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I, something happened here and I'm hearing you, but I'm not seeing you. It's, and it's not that I, um, it, it, it's I've lost the window that that. Oh, okay. Um, did it get in, minimized? I don't know what I did. Um, okay. It's not. Um, it's not minimized. Well, it, I'm not finding it. Okay. That's interesting. You can still hear me. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you. I I was I was trying to just move the move something on the screen a little bit, and mm -hmm. um, you disappeared, and I, I I just don't see it. Yeah, what are you what are you seeing right now? Do you see? Well, um... now I'm on my desktop. Okay. But I so... would have, I would have I would have thought um, you know down on the taskbar would be. Yeah. Am I so? I can still see you perfectly. It looks like uh, nothing's changed for me, but okay. I, I know it, it might be nice to to see me. It'd just be a little easier for me. Yeah, um, you could go to your. Oh, no, uh, you're back. You're back. Okay. Oh, I great. I got okay. It. Awesome. It was just a tab in Firefox. Okay. Sorry. Great. No, no problem at all. Yeah, that's why I don't do them live. This is nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. um, yeah. So, so you you give these two principled reasons, or these two reasons yeah. for for why you don't think they're unique. Um, one's, you know, you you don't find any positive evidence uh, warranting special treatment for uh, religious disagreement, and then two, you doubt that there are. This 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 was surprising to me that you doubt right. that there are, in fact, general principles specifically about uh, disagreement. So here's what I mean by the by the latter. Mm -hmm. um, my fundamental principle in epistemology is to believe justifiably or reasonably just follow your evidence uh, okay. uh, it, it that is rational belief is determined by the evidence you have mm -hmm. 
And so in cases of disagreement, what happens? Well, you get evidence. Uh, perhaps that some other person believes something different from what you believe, perhaps some explanation from that person about why she believes as she does, mm -hmm. uh, whatever, whatever information you get. Well, that's just more information. And, and so the evidentialist perspective says, okay, take that evidence into account and adjust beliefs accordingly. Yeah. And the fact that it's somebody disagreeing with you is not special. It's, it's just another bit of evidence. Yeah. And so there's not from looked at that way, there's not going to be some, some special principle that says, well, you know, ordinarily when you get evidence, you know, see how that weighs out against everything else and, and adjust. But when it's disagreement, it's somebody disagreeing, then there's some different thing that you do. Yeah. Special. It, it's, it's just going to be how do you take that information into account? Now, that's not to say that there aren't some interesting questions about how you do take that information into account. Right. Uh, that, that, that might, there, there might be something to say about that. Um, like you can worry about, well, are there circumstances in, in which you can reasonably say, well, yeah, you believe that, but I'm not going to change my beliefs in the slightest. Uh, you, or you can rationally say that. And the, yeah. the flat earther is a case, a case in, in point. Um, so, so, uh, but, but that's the line of thinking that, that disagreement is just more evidence. And, yeah. And so, and evidence is evidence. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I, that it makes sense now. It makes sense, yeah, because you don't want to diminish it or, or qualify this type of evidence. Because no, higher order evidence is the same as yeah, right. The, it has it counts the same. You don't you're not disqualifying or adding extra because it's right. someone's testimony or or whatever. Right, and and, and uh, if if uh, if there were some special principles about disagreement. I guess a question for you, well, would they be questions, would it be cases where even though your evidence indicates one thing, the special rules about disagreement indicate something different? And so right. you know, would it be in conflict with a sort of evidentialist perspective? Right, right. And I, I'm not, I can't see why religion would undermine sort of the general evidentialist picture. Right. Right. Um, okay. So I, I think I'm with you on that, uh, about evidence being evidence. That's do, does the manner in which you received the evidence, does that change anything? So like if I, um, if, if you had a, a voice in your head from God, yeah. um, and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you wouldn't even be able to allow for that because maybe that you could always explain it as um, a hallucination or something. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that too, but. So, yeah. So yeah. I think this is, this is the, gets into the um, points toward the end of, end of uh, um, the paper. Yeah. Um, and what's, what strikes me as uh, at least somewhat interesting and, and in a certain way, distinctive Um uh -huh not because of distinctive evidential principles, but just sort of how the details play out. Um, you know, if there are sort of 
logical or or arguments you know the cosmological argument yeah, or sure. the ontological argument that bear on god's existence those are just those are arguments like other arguments that people look at and and i'd say nothing special there right religious experience is is interesting um in the following regard, um, I have this example in, in the papers. Suppose two people are sitting in their house in, one evening, and one of them says, I just heard the doorbell ring, and, and the other says, I didn't hear any such thing. And so right. there's a disagreement about whether the doorbell rang. Well, there's a lot of things you can think about in order to, to um, address that disagreement. You can think about the track records of each as one person uh, uh, say heart you know doesn't hear as well and, and likely would miss it uh, is one person likely to mistake the sound I don't know of the refrigerator running for a doorbell I maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense but but uh, mistake uh, uh, another sound for you know think it's the doorbell was somebody so absorbed was the person who didn't hear it so absorbed in something that that it might just have been missed so there's a lot of things you can do and of course if we get into not just the the immediate time right but but give yourselves a minute you can of course go check and see if there's somebody at the door right um, uh, so so there's that kind of uh perceptual disagreement mm -hmm. and there might be cases that are really hard. Uh, there was the, the 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 pretty popular example a few years ago of the image that some people saw. People saw it very differently. Was it the colors that they saw it differently? Got a lot of attention. Oh yeah, the dress. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. it was blue and gold or white yeah. and yellow or yeah. Whatever. And so that's sort of interesting. Where there's these perceptual disagreements, and it's sort of hard to know what to make of it. And right. And, you know, I guess some of that's been explained, but um, you know, it's it's it, as a general principle. At least we know how to think about it. We can yeah. we can think about real you know reliability, and, and we might say, gee, you know, I really don't know whether the doorbell rang. It it could have been I thought I heard it and was mistaken. It could have been you missed it, and we just don't know, and and leave it at that. Um. The. the the religious experience case, if, if that's the basis for belief in God, that's a more challenging one and yeah. they're, are harder to think about because, I mean, I say you say you have a religious experience and, and are aware of God and, and I don't have any such experience. Mm -hmm. It's not like the, the auditory case where I know exactly what the what the experience is. I know what it's like, say, if I'm the one who heard the doorbell, I know what it's like not to hear a doorbell, too. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, and, and so we can we have ways of checking, whereas in that case, it's, it's a different sort of uh, it's a different sort of experience. And as the one who hasn't had it, I, I can I can say well, I think you're just hallucinating or, or yeah. well, I understand that you had some meaningful experience, but how do you, on what basis do you think that it's an experience of God? I mean, how, how can you tell that that's what it is? 
And if you say, well, if you had the experience, you would, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder for me to, to know exactly how to respond to that. There's a kind of um, uh, disanalogy between us um, yeah. in, in, in um, you know, it, it differs, say, from the hearing the doorbell kind of case because um, there's this there's this question about whether it's a veridical experience at all right. and and um i can't uh, and there's a kind of uh, it, it, it there's a certain kind of um lack of symmetry in the case that is right if, if you if you really did have an experience of god well then there you go <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> Um, so it's, it's, it's not like my not having that experience proves there's no God, right? I just didn't have the experience. So, so it, it's a complicating uh, thing. And so I think it left for me this question, well, what really am I in a position to say about, about those, those experiences? And am I justified in, in, as you suggested, sort of writing them off as hallucinations. And yeah. that, that seems a, a little hasty to me. Yeah. I wonder if you, if you, um, there's so much, this is so good. <clears throat> um, I wonder if you could look at the various types of religious experiences and maybe you have two friends and one says, I experienced God and God, what he was like this. And your other friend says, I had an experience of God and she was more like a ethereal thing. And then you could say, look, those two are incommensurate. Yeah. And now I have some reason to deny one or both. Yeah, I, I, maybe so. Um, it does, it does, it, it seemed to me to sort of cast some doubt on, on sort of what we're supposed to make of it. If, 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 there's this sort of general thing called experiences of God. And then the specifics are so different from one another that you do have to wonder, um, uh, I mean, is it reasonable to say, well, something along those lines must be right. But yeah. uh, And and I I wonder about that. I I really don't know. Um, Yeah. Well, I I thought as, as you were describing that too, I I thought about um, like pain states and disagreeing over whether or not, someone was in pain yeah. it, it seems like a, 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 uh, an analogous case or similar and it, i guess it might depend it might hinge a little bit on your theory of mind but if if like a neurosurgeon or a uh, neuropsychologist or someone had you hooked up and could see your your brain states and you're saying look doc i'm in a tremendous pain and they're saying well i'm looking at your c fibers or whatever we're going with yeah, right. and yeah. it doesn't look like you are in pain but you're like look i if you were in this experience you would know but you're not and you can't be well. Maybe you could be. I don't know. What, what do you make of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well. I, yeah. I mean, there is there is this idea that that there's this privacy of experience that, that and and you know what it's like. I mean, there's always or generally there's worries about language here. Are we using the word in the same way? Sure. Like, but. 
but uh, you know, whatever the doctor's telling me, I'd feel like, well, I know how I feel. Right. Uh, um, I think the religious case, at least it seems a bit different because okay. the claim is you're experiencing this other external thing. Which is different than like a direct awareness of your own pain state. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's maybe maybe it's mediated. Unless yeah. unless it, you say that the religious experience is immediate. Yeah. But that's even harder to explain, yeah. I guess. I think. I mean I yeah, I, I I get past what I really feel like I understand there. Yeah, and, and even if it is immediate, it's still maybe there's degrees of of immediacy because it seems like nothing could be more immediate than your pain state. Yeah, and if if it's if it's supposed to be well, I I I can tell that this is an experience of of you know you said he or she and right. and and then other attributes sure. that people often attribute to God. Well, how can you tell it's something like that? Yeah, and that that seems like a fair question. Unless unless it was like auditory, and unless it was revealed to you in an yeah. auditory form. Yeah. And then any any auditory stuff is going to be kind of tricky because there's a lot of cognitive disabilities or things that, that also yeah. come with voices and such. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's there's uh, two related things that I was um, pretty interested in. Uh, I don't know much about like epistemic, epistemic norms, but it seems like you should probably, if you think evidence of evidence is evidence, it seems like you're flouting some epistemic duty to uh, intentionally not hear other people's views because you don't want theirs to count against yours. But okay. can we say that? Like, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so so here's a thing that, that sometimes gets me in a bit of trouble with others. Um, separate cases. Suppose, so here's an example that I like. So my favorite you know, theory in epistemology is called evidentialism. Mm -hmm. Suppose I get a, a email message from a friend who I think is a really first-rate epistemologist, and the subject heading in the message is three decisive objections to evidentialism. And so what do I do? Delete that message immediately. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Right? Yeah. that. That would be really uh, uh, discouraging to me. Mm. Um, but the problem is, I already got the message. Oh, yeah. I already have the evidence that at least this respected friend sent a message with that title. Yeah. So I have fill in the details here, but I have pretty good reason to think that this person at least thinks he's got three pretty decisive, you know, significant objections to evidentialism. Yeah. I've got some evidence already that matters. Yeah. So, so hiding from the evidence doesn't help all that much. Okay. Okay. But should you, ought, ought you not? Is there like some kind of norm that we can say? So, you, you... so um, here's, here's the, here's, I'll separate two kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. One kind of question is, what's the reasonable thing to believe in whatever circumstance you're in. Mm -hmm. Second kind of question is, what should you do about changing your circumstance and maybe gathering additional evidence? Right. 
I think the should you gather additional evidence is a kind of practical or moral question. Okay. It's a question of a different sort than the question about what to believe given the evidence you have. So should I delete that message? Well, it's kind of irresponsible as a, I mean, if I, if I purport to be, uh, somebody studying epistemology and I'm going to be teaching my students about this stuff and writing papers. And, and there's this, this, um, these apparent objections to my view, I sort of have a response, professional responsibility to, to stay aware of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, other kinds of topics, maybe they don't much matter to me. I don't have that kind of responsibility. And I can say, yeah, you know, I don't really care much about that. Yeah. So I'm not going to bother get, gathering that evidence. So, so as I see it, these questions about getting evidence are questions about how to lead my life. Yeah. Or how one, how one's to lead his or her life. And they're more practical or moral questions, uh, prudential questions, professional questions less in the domain of, I'll call it pure epistemology. Okay. Uh, and, and maybe one last thing. I mean, it's, it, it's always uh, sort of helpful to think about this. Say I get a message like that and, uh, you know, with, with uh, apparent objections to some print proposition that I care much about. Um, well, what should I do? You might say, well, you should, you should um, read it. Well, maybe I've got something more important to do at the time, right? I mean, yeah. maybe I don't have a dog, but you know, maybe if I had a dog, the dog needs to go for a walk. Uh, yeah. So, so there's always that kind of question about about um, what you should do when, and those are those, as I see it, are are a different sort of question. Yeah. Okay. And I can see him, I can see him being, you know, conditional. It's like if, if you wanted to be a, uh, if you wanted to be an informed epistemologist, then you might need to do this. Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting too, because it it comes up for me a lot when we talk about, when I think about religious disagreement and it's like, well, there are a lot of religions out there that I don't know anything about. And should I just spend all of my day? Re- I couldn't. I couldn't spend all my day reading every single thing about everything. And then right. I like philosophy, but I can't spend all my time reading Indian philosophy as right. well as Western, as well as this, as well as. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it seems all right to pick and choose. Yeah, that's good. And that's and, good. and and you just talked about reading, you know, intellectual texts, but but you know, there's other parts to life too. And it's, it's all right <laughs> if you do that stuff. That's true. Yeah. I only have so many Sunday mornings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's really good. Um, I wanted to bring up, uh, so I had, I had one of your students, uh, John Matheson on, and um, he, he was thinking through um, the common consent argument, which is just this view that like so many, he, he didn't agree with it. He was just like, can we soup this up and make it, um, uh, kind of forceful or, 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 you know, let's see. So the common consent argument is like, uh, evidence of evidence is evidence. And there's all these religious believers in the world. Um, does that, does the amount of people, cause I'm, I'm 
we talked about uh, epistemic peers and how it's not really, it's not something you get super fine grained on, but um, when it comes to the amount of people believing something um, like, like flat earth or like in the existence of a higher being, uh, what does that do for us? Do we, is that, is it more forceful the more amount of people believe it? To a first approximation, yes. Uh, okay. To me, it seems like it is. That is the, the first an- the first round answer is is yes. Details matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I mean, t- to take uh, uh, an, a, a, an example of it in a completely different domain and and um, sort of less sensitive kind of question. <laughs> I mean, if if uh, I find out that that uh, all the students or most of the students in my class have a mistaken view about what day their paper is due, uh. Um, uh, so, you know, should I think, well, maybe I assigned a different date and, you know, I misspoke in class or I, you know, I put the wrong thing on the assignment. How should I think about that? Well, I mean, it matters that they think that, but then I might find out that they've got some messaging thing going on and one student said the wrong date and they all read that and and there's one source for this mistake and, and that's why they believe it and they're mistaken. I said exactly what I, what I thought I said. I don't know if that's a great example, but you, you can, yeah. I hope you get the idea. It's numbers matter, but you might find out about why those people believe as they do. Yeah. That makes the, the numbers matter less. So it's, it's not like it's a vote. Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. And and when it comes to the religious case, there, there's some stuff in, in uh, cognitive science right now and saying like, there's, there's a mechanism that makes you, makes people believe in God. And so that could be yeah. used as an, as a type of error theory. And yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well just, so just finishing up, I think my, my audience would probably kill me if I don't ask you this, but um, are there any, are there any theistic flaws? Uh, this doesn't matter as much now that we talked about peers and, and how they're not as important, but I wanted to ask before that, are there any theistic philosophers that you take, to be um, like your your peers that that give you pause that their their religious belief counts as evidence against your atheism. So sure, um, there are um, there are a few. I have one colleague, very close friend uh, here, a guy named Ed Waringa, who you know we we went to grad school together. We've been colleagues here at Rochester for forty something years. Yeah. And uh, he's he's uh, he's uh, religious, and I'm not. And he he for me is the personification of the problem. I mean, he's a very smart guy, yeah. uh, very careful thinker. And um, we've talked about some issues, uh, you know, his own papers in philosophy of religion, and and you know we can talk very productively about things over, you know, over the years, many, many things we, we discussed in great detail and, and productively, I think, of course, in the end, you know, it was modus ponens for him and modus tollens for me, but, but, but right. it was interesting to see the connections and to yeah. see, to see the, the, the various um, 
uh, issues that arose and trying to figure out how one thing related to another. Um, yeah. And um, I, I just, when I find myself feeling too confident in my own beliefs, I can I can just think of him and say, okay, yeah. you know. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. We need we need more friendships like that. And that's that's part of what I'm trying to do with the podcast. Just be someone in the theistic space who could give someone else pause on the other side. Um, so so what do you what do you take to be uh, maybe the best evidence against uh, theism? Do you, do you have anything like that? I don't have anything that's particularly distinctive to me. I mean, I think that the issues and the problem of evil are sure. are, are really hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't have much um i don't put a lot of stock in in uh, arguments about um you know god works in mysterious ways sure that yeah. um so uh without having any and i understand a lot of the moves people can make and i you know i, yeah. I know up there uh, some of the literature um so uh but i i think that's where the where the um problem of evil the problem yeah yeah okay um and there's there's probably there's, there's more world world and life view worldview aspects to the, the, the there's different ways of seeing the world and i think that um i think probably a lot of that comes in as well right like like um uh background beliefs other other certain types of background beliefs and um credences and, and stuff like that right it's, um would you say that that there's it's a it's a holistic picture of of atheism versus uh, a theistic conception? It, it is, and and this is another very hard hard topic, and I don't have anything great to say about it. Um, but there's this sort of there's this perspective on rational belief and the like, and it's you've got some fundamental worldview and then everything else is sort of trying to work it out and, you know, sort of how to apply that worldview to the evidence experiences that you, that you, you have and make that all, all work. But you're sort of entitled to whatever worldview you want or have. <laughs> yeah. And, I have trouble. I mean, I understand the, the the motivation for thinking something like that. But on the other hand, I think, wow, there's this way of looking at things and there's this other way of looking at things. Well, what? Yeah. Why one rather than the other? And, and I have a hard time getting myself to think, well, no, you just pick one and then everything else is sort of spinning after story for me. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's funny because then you just sub um, in this case we've just submitted uh, substituted worldview for uh, religious, yes. and it's we're we're back. Why would worldview have a special case where you right. get to have yours and it doesn't affect it? It's not affected by mine. Yeah, it's exactly. awesome. That's exactly. awesome. Yes. Well, this has been uh, Rich. This has been so fantastic, man. I really appreciate the conversation, and and I love your work. I, I tell anyone who is interested in epistemology to jump in with with your book here. Um, the disagreement is scary and uh, can keep you up at night, but it's also good. And I think it can breed some humility as well. So I, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing and, and continually doing on this uh, topic. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's great fun talking with you. Yeah, you as well. All right, folks, uh, that's going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.